retail in general is doing well, there are still things that people like to go out and shop for. Probably the market that's been doing the best is the neighborhood retail center where people go to get their nails done, get their hair cut, the things you can't really do from home. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Mike McManus. I'm here to discuss commercial real estate and what I believe is the greatest asset to change your financial future and provide financial freedom. It's just really a way to start letting your money work for you in ways that are difficult to find elsewhere. So today, I'm just going to share some of the research I've been doing and looking at the different parts of the commercial real estate market and really what's happening there and what my thoughts are. And there's a lot of information out there on this. And I, in no way, am the biggest expert, but hopefully I can just pass along a few insights here and some of the things I've seen in my reading. And for some people, there's a lot of concern about what's going on in the commercial real estate market. If you're following the common standard media out there, you'll see some things that sound scary, uh, not to say the least, but the failure of several banks that have been associated with the commercial real estate market. Uh, got a lot of press earlier in the year. There's discussion about uh, decreased lending activity, which had a lot to do with the Fed tightening capital markets. When we look at the commercial space, a lot of the loans that are available for doing commercial projects and for buying commercial buildings come from small to mid-sized banks rather than from the big banks. And the reason for that is these are banks that know their market well, and they loan within a market that they know and understand. And often these banks will even further specialize in very specific projects. As an example, when we were looking at remodeling an office building for the practice and adding a surgery center, as when we started talking to lenders, there were some lenders that as soon as you mentioned medical or anything with the word office in it, they were not interested at all. They wanted nothing to do with it. And there are other ones that the idea of owner-occupied medical space and surgery centers had them jumping up and down. It was their favorite thing to invest in in the world. And the reason for that is the banks that like to invest in it feel like they have a handle on that space. They have people in the bank who understand it and are active in it. And the banks that aren't interested, it's not that they're saying it's a bad place, but it's not where their expertise is. They may be focused more on uh, lending for people buying businesses or lending for retail space or other assets, and that they weren't just looking, that they don't feel like they have the knowledge or the expertise or want that in the medical space. So that's kind of how that lending environment can drive what's going on. The other part is looking at delinquency rates on loans that affects their lending appetite. I've seen a lot of stuff talking about failures in the commercial space, 
but overall delinquency rates from all of my readings still remain less than 1%. So not that many properties are being given back, although there are a few that are very high profile that we see. So one of the things that's kind of going on in general is seeing slower rent growth and higher vacancy rates. But again, commercial real estate is very hyper local. Rents can be going up for properties in one city while they're going down in the next city or in one state versus the next state or even within a city. If one part of town is seeing growth and high demand, you can see vacancies below and rents going up or across town, it may go in the other direction. And this is really, especially when you get into industrial and retail, is having people who really understand the market they're in, where multifamily isn't so much as hyper-local as it is with other forms of commercial real estate. So when we look at these vacancy rates, it wasn't that long ago, and we've talked about this before, that retail was dead and Amazon was going to put it all brick and mortar out of business and nobody would ever go to a store again. But in reality, right now, vacancy rates in retail are about 4%, which are still near all-time lows and one of the lowest rates, if not the lowest rate for all sectors. The sectors that have the highest rent growth, we're seeing a lot of that in industrial spaces and especially in the Southeast. And in Florida, where there's just limited land, and if you have a lot of shipping coming in and out and a lot going on economically, like is going on in Florida and lack of space, it's hard to build big industrial spaces such as big warehouses because there just aren't that many big spaces available. So that's been a really strong sector, again, in certain parts of the country. So multifamily, this is the spot that people hear most about. Most people understand, and this would be investing in apartment buildings. Over the last several years, this has really been the sweet spot, especially with the post-COVID migration to the south and southeast. These areas had super high demand for rental properties and properties to buy, and they just couldn't be built fast enough. We're starting to see now that some of that supply and demand is catching up, that vacancy rates are creeping up in multifamily. There's a lot of discussion about, will we see huge drops in rents? Has there been overbuilding? There will probably be some markets that this happens, and there'll be other markets that it doesn't. And so this will play out over time. And this isn't my favorite playground. And I've actually, although I do have some passive investing spots in multifamily, um, most of my investing is now going into non-multifamily spaces. Another space that gets a lot of news is office properties. And they love to talk about office property on the coast. As New York and San Francisco are a couple that have been hit the hardest. They're seeing extraordinary vacancy rates. I've seen in places where they've talked about 70% of office buildings being empty. I've seen recently that nationwide, it's more like 13%. This is still being driven by the work from home factor. A lot of companies are saying they would like to have their employees back in the office, and they find the employees in the office are more productive. But at the same time, it's still a difficult hiring environment. 
and workers are demanding to work from home or have hybrid work environments that are still really affecting downtown office space in many parts of the country. Still, interestingly, there are some small markets out there, not small markets, but there are markets where office space still sees low vacancy rates and people are at work, even the downtown office space. One of the office spaces that has been really hot the last couple of years is co-working spaces or small office spaces in uh, thriving suburbs. And this is really the phenomenon of the work from home, where a lot of people don't work well from home and need some place to go to go to work. And if they're not full-time in the office downtown, they find themselves a small office close to home to work out of. And these places have been in high demand. Actually, we're recording right now from one such property because as I started the podcast, there was just too much noise at home. And between the podcast and trying to underwrite properties and find deals, I got nothing done at home. And I didn't really understand this the way I'd heard other people talk about it when I was working full-time as a doctor because I didn't work from home as a surgeon, you know, not doing a lot of surgery on the dining room table. But as I stepped back and started working, decreasing my clinical schedule and working more in this realm and thought I could do it from home, I have a great little office at home. It's a beautiful space. And I was really looking forward to it, but found out that it just didn't work well for me. And I think that this is a lot of what's gone on with many people is working from home has not been a great thing for a lot of people. And they're more productive getting out of the house and going someplace else. And then they can come home and home is home. We talked a little bit about retail. We've done some recent shows about retail. Even malls are seeing this resurgence where everybody talked about the death of the mall for years. In certain parts of the country, the malls are absolutely thriving. Other malls maybe aren't doing as well, so it's a little bit hyper-local. But the big malls, we actually recently were in Salt Lake City visiting my daughter, and we went to the mall to get her some stuff because that's what you do as parents when you visit your college kids, is you go shopping with them, and they get to take care of your financial support for their shopping. But we're at the mall. We ran into my sister who lives in Nevada, and my wife posted a Facebook post about, look who we found. People are going back to the mall to find everything, including long-lost family members. So malls are doing well in many places. Um, retail in general is doing well. There are still things that people like to go out and shop for. Probably the market that's been doing the best is the neighborhood retail center where people go to get their nails done, get their hair cut, the things you can't really do from home. But even bigger retail centers are starting to do well, and we're starting to see these hybrid models between brick and mortar and online sales, starting these synergies between different companies where they're putting a store within a store. And there are some changes. And it's interesting that as a Gen Xer, you know, we were the at the mall as teenagers, that was where you went, and then really embraced online shopping and its convenience and all this. But now I'm seeing out of the kids, and I see it with my kids, is they spend so much time online. A lot of their classes, when they're in school, they don't have a paper textbook. 
all the materials are online. The schools are saving money this way, not having to buy books. So they go to school on the computer, even when they're in school versus at home, they're on the computer. They do their homework on the computer. When they want to do something else, they don't want to be on the computer. And they enjoy going out and going shopping. They go shopping with their friends. Um, it's a social activity. They try things on. My daughters have complained about how they get so frustrated with having to, you know, you find things, you wait for it, even if it comes the next day. Now you got to try it on. It doesn't fit that well. You got to send it back. They like to go to a store, put clothes on, see how they fit, know they like the way it looks on them before they have to pay for it. So they're feeling this drawback that shopping is a social activity, that they know what they're getting. And maybe we're seeing a little pushback in parts to shopping online. Hotel properties, and I'll admit, this is to me is an intriguing part of commercial real estate that I don't know a lot about. I know that during the pandemic, the hotels suffered greatly, but we're seeing a lot more movement out there where people are out and vacationing again. Something I'd like to have somebody on the show. We'll drum that up here so we can bring somebody on who specializes in hotels and allowing investment opportunities for people to invest in the real estate of hotels. Because most hotels today, the real estate is owned by one company. The hotel is often owned by a company that is a franchise. So it may be that it's a Hilton, but the actual hotel is run by somebody who's a franchise of Hilton. The building is owned by somebody else. So it allows some different investment opportunities there. And then finally, industrial properties. Sorry, I'm coming back to industrial because this is one of the parts I find so interesting. We look at industrial, this includes big commercial properties that are factories. Here in Green Bay, there's some giant factory buildings, especially some of the paper mills that are large buildings. So that's the large industrial properties. Then there's smaller factories. Some of the smaller factories are even what's considered flex space, where flex space kind of falls under a bunch of different categories where it can be even spaces up to 100,000 square feet that have some office in it. Maybe the rest is warehouse or it's a small factory or production facility. Flex space tends to be multiple units. So it may just be flex duplex where it's divided into two sections, or it could be three, four, and five. Some flex properties are rather large, almost like factory mini storage, where there's just a whole row of these smaller flex space can be as small as 3,000 to 5,000 feet. A lot of people call these contractor garages where they give a place for contractors like plumbers or electricians, where there will be a storefront where people can come in. They may have a retail space where you can look at some of the things they're selling, or it may just be an office where they have their billing office and their business office and all those things. And then in the back is their warehouse or their space where their supplies come in before they go out and install them. So this is a really intriguing space. There's been a lot of interest in mini storage over the last few years and in question now whether mini storage has kind of hit its zenith or not. But this new flex space are kind of like big mini storage 
that have a lot more uses for them. And it's a real exciting place. One of our recent guests, Ash Patel, recently did a great online conference. Sorry, I'm missing the word, a presentation about flex space. And they actually went on looking for flex space and he found one to purchase on this webinar, which was really awesome because it's a great investment class and a place where you can see some great returns for your investors. So I hope this has been helpful. Just kind of another rundown of the things that are out there and what's going on now. It's worth reading if you're looking to invest in this area, because you're going to see a lot of different things out there. But when you see all these different analysis, the reality is nobody knows for certain. Nobody knows what's right and wrong. But if you know your local market or you know people who know their local market well, then you can start to see whether the stories align with the things you're looking to invest in. So again, hope this has been helpful and added some value to your day. Thank you for taking time to listen to us and join us here on the Surgeon Syndicate. We look forward to seeing you again soon. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.